Brilliant. Are we there yet? Anyone ever travelled in a car with children? You know, our children still sometimes bless us with those words, are we there yet? Have we got to the destination? Surely we are there. We have been travelling for so long. Well, today it's the second Sunday of Advent. For 900 years or more, Christians have used Advent, the run-up to Christmas, as a time not only to think about Jesus' first coming and to remember that, but to look ahead to the return of Jesus and think about the second coming. You know, you don't have to do a very detailed search of the New Testament to realize that Jesus is coming back. 23 out of 27 books of the New Testament talk about it. Loads of passages in the Old Testament talk about it as well. There are 300 verses in the New Testament about it. One in 30 verses of the whole Bible are apparently something have, uh, within something is about the second coming. You can check all those out this afternoon as you do a detailed word search. But it can be confusing, can't it? Has anyone here got confused over the second coming? Yes, I'm nodding furiously at that point. Because over the years, lots of people have tried to map out and stick together all the different Bible passages and come up with a nice orderly plan of how it will work out. And there's questions that we find, questions of tribulation. That's a long word to start with. What does that mean? Is there an antichrist that we're expecting? Is there going to be a secret rapture of the church or not? How do we read the book of Revelation? How do we understand it? And then we get all the complicated words like amillennialism, classic premillennialism, postmillennialism, pre-tribunal, I can't even say it, or dispensationalist premillennialism. With words like that, is it any wonder that we get confused? And sometimes the confusion means that we put something on the back burner and we don't think about it quite, perhaps as much as we should do. Now, there is a place for very detailed study of the New Testament. There is a place for dealing with all those complicated words and issues. But just a word of caution as we look at this this morning. You know, I always think there's a danger when we put an ism on anything. And that's that in an ism, there's an I in there. And it puts our own interpretation over the top of God's word and says, I think I've got this one sorted. And I think I've got this one sussed. So can I just encourage all of us to come humbly before God as we look at this topic this morning and say, Lord, what is it you want to speak to us? You know, we do not know the day or the hour. We do not know how all this will pan out. But what is it that God wants to say to us today? If you've got a Bible in front of you, can I encourage you to turn to page 1031, beginning of the book of Acts. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. About 11 verses I'll do. Is that all right, Andy? Sorry, I keep confusing Andy this morning by changing what I'm doing. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Journeys. Now, I quite like journeys. Anyone like traveling? Yeah, traveling can be good sometimes, you know. There are some journeys I like better than others. I like going to London, but I do not like the M6. Don't particularly like the M40 or the M1. I don't mind going on the train, but if you're traveling on the motorway, the problem with the motorway is the only place you can really stop off is a service station. And they're not the most glamorous of places, are they, really? But in the summer, we were traveling down to Cardigan in mid-Wales. Now, you go to Cardigan, and apart from the bit of the M56 to Chester, it's a good journey, because you go through Langoslin, you go through Bala, you go through, um, where is it, Cadariduris, past the mountains, down to the coast, and it's just beautiful. And you think, actually, the journey is, is almost as good as the destination, really. We were on a plane, I think I've told you this story before, when Nathaniel was two, and the plane took off. We were going to see Claire's family in Florida. And as the plane took off, he said, I want to get out. <laughs> and he said, I want to get out for the next eight hours. We said, good luck with that one. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But I want us to think about the journeys that we're on as individuals and as church in the broadest sense. You know, we often live lives that are destination-focused, don't we? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But I think if you think about your life, I wonder whether you've ever found yourself saying, things will be good when, or I'll be happy and content when. And you can fill in that gap with whatever it might be. It might be when I find the perfect wife or husband. Good luck with that one as well. It might be... (laughs) Claire's found it. No. (laughs) I'm not even going there. I did, I've been, and I'll be in trouble later. It might be when I get the new job. It might be when I get the new house. You know, things will be great when only I can get the new phone because my old one is driving me mad. It might be everything will be brilliant when it's Christmas. Or everything will be fantastic when Christmas is over and done with and everything's put away and we get into January. Or everything will be brilliant when I can give up my work and retire and have a life of leisure and bliss. I'm sure that's what all our retired people feel this morning. But we put markers in the sand, don't we? And we say, if only I can get to this point, then everything will be all right. But actually, you know, those are false markers. They are deceiving markers, because they're never real. We're never called to put destination in mind for this life. In Acts chapter 1, It's perhaps not the most famous passage in terms of talking about the second coming, and it's certainly not the most detailed passage about the second coming. But what we get within those few verses is a story of a journey. And it's a story of journey of the church. And it's it's just an outline. It's a a bare bones of the journey. Look at verse 9, if you've got the Bible in front of you. The risen and exalted Lord, the conqueror of death, the defeater of sin and the powers of darkness, ascends into heaven. And there are powerful symbols there. The clouds in which he ascends up to. Your clouds in the Bible often symbolize the presence of God. They did when Israel was going through the desert. It was the cloud that went before them. On Mount Sinai, it was the cloud that came down 
when God was meeting with Moses. Verse 8, if you just go back a verse, there was a promise that would come after Jesus had ascended. And it was the promise of the Holy Spirit. The prophetic declaration of the coming of Pentecost. That the Holy Spirit would fall on the church, that people would be empowered and gifted and equipped to go out and be witnesses for Jesus to the ends of the earth. So there's a call and there's an equipping in verse 8. Now this morning, we are still in verse 8 of this chapter, if you like. This is our age. We are at the time when the Holy Spirit has been poured out and is continuing to be poured out upon the church. He hasn't gone anywhere. He is still here, still doing the same kinds of things that he was doing in the New Testament. And what we see is that one person at a time, the Holy Spirit has been working through the church. Your lives change one heart at a time. It started with a few hundred in the book of Acts. It then went on to thousands. It's now numbering millions, if not billions, of people whose lives have been called and handed over to Jesus. And then we get to verse 11, and we get the final word of the journey, if you like, where the church is heading. And it's this, that Jesus is coming back. Jesus, who ascended on the clouds, will return on the clouds of heaven. And I want to think about the journey of the church until Jesus returns. You know, I've talked about journeys and about my different types of journeys. And I I think as we think about journeys, we can do two extremes. We can become destination people, can't we? Where we think all about where we're heading and we forget the journey. Or we can become the kind of people who are on the other end of the spectrum and we get so caught up in the journey that we forget where we're heading. And you know, we can do that as church, can't we? We can get so focused in the second coming of Jesus that we don't do anything else. And we just sit around and think, let's just wait for Jesus to return. He'll sort it all out when he returns, and we can just sit back and wait for that day. Or we forget that Jesus is coming back, and we get so strung up with all the detail of the nitty-gritty of everyday life that we lose sight of the big picture. The Apostle Paul had to deal with both types of people. If you get a chance to read the letter or the two letters to the church in Thessalonica, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And what Paul had there was Christians who were so keen that Jesus would return any day that they were giving up work, they were sitting around, they were being idle, they were sat waiting for the great day when Jesus would return. A church earlier this year, over a number of weeks, we looked at the book of 1 Corinthians. I think the Corinthian church was almost at the other end of the spectrum. They'd lost the big picture and were getting so focused in on the detail that they were falling out with one another, they were having problems over leaders and all kinds of other things. And they were, they were journey people, but with no destination. You know, this morning, I believe the call of God for us is to be both journey people and destination people. That we need both in view. Jesus is returning. Verse 11 tells us that. He is coming back. He will return. But actually, in the meantime, we're on a journey, and there's an awful lot of work that God has called us to do in being his witnesses on that journey. And knowing the journey spurs us on to greater love and holiness. Just look at this verse from Philippians. This is Paul talking. He says, So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God of God. Or this from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul's point there is keep the destination in view and it changes the here and now. If we know that Jesus is coming back, it will spur us on to live holy lives, to live lives that, that are sort of lived within that knowledge of what is to come. What are your goals and ambitions at the moment? What is it that drives you as a person? Is it some of those markers that I talked about before? Or is it to be holy? To be ready for Jesus when he returns? Is it to be a witness for Jesus until that great day when he returns in glory? Or is that so far off our radar that it doesn't even register? You see, I think if we could have the chance to speak to any of the writers of the New Testament, they would say to us something like, you know, it's unthinkable that you could live without the second coming clearly in your mind. It would be unthinkable for them that the church could exist and put what is such an amazing hope and encouragement onto the back burner because it's a bit too complicated and difficult to talk about. You know, 2,000 years later, with the passage of time, we can think, well, it hasn't happened yet and it's not going to happen. But actually, Jesus says, I am coming. I am coming soon. Will you be ready? Verse 7 in that Acts passage, it says, it is not for you to know the times or the dates. 1 Thessalonians 5, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. See, Jesus will return. Jesus will return. We're in the journey now. The destination lies ahead. But what else can we say about the journey? Here's another passage. Matthew 24. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. There's a clear thread that goes through the the Bible that says that actually before the end, before Jesus returns, things will get worse. That the world will keep spiraling down and down. And we look at our world today, And I think we can legitimately start asking ourselves, are we in this time of age? Is this the age that we're living in? Is our culture spiraling down? You see, we live in a a country, don't we, that for for centuries, if not millennia actually, has existed with a kind of Christian bedrock underneath it. With a kind of, even if it's been a nominal viewpoint, but a viewpoint on ethics, on morality, on sexuality. And we've seen over the last few years that that has been eroded at quite an increasingly fast right. Now, I don't have any real insight on this thing, but I would love to ask this question of people who live in China and people who live, say, in the global south, where the church is growing very rapidly, and say, do you feel that we're in Matthew 24 days? It'd be really interesting to do that kind of research. But you see, we hear wars, don't we? We hear rumors of wars right now across our world. We're living again with the threat of nuclear war on the possible horizon. We find things like climate change, pollution, the population crisis, the refugee crisis. And we can find ourselves asking, are we in Matthew 24 type days? You know, it's getting later, isn't it? 
That is one thing we can say with absolute certainty. It is getting later. The return of Jesus is nearer than it ever has been. And we are told to be alert and ready, but not curious and paranoid. There is a massive difference between the two. See, the hope of Jesus Christ is a hope for those who are following Jesus. It's a hope for the church in the persecuted world who know that one day their Lord will come to take them to be with himself. It's a hope to those who are suffering injustice because there is the assurance that actually the judge of the earth will come and will see that all wrongs are righted. To those who are walking closely with God, there is the desire that all God's promises are yes and amen. But we have been in these end times since Pentecost. That was, if you like, the beginning at the end. And we are still in them now. And so the question I want to ask you today is not will you become more curious about this and start sort of speculating at every little turn of world events, but actually as the world keeps on going into this kind of spiral, are you ready? Are you alert? Are you witnessing for Jesus? Are you living a life that is holy and blameless? 2 Peter 3. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. See, in that verse, we, we get some insight as to why the Lord hasn't yet returned. It's to allow our mission to continue so that none will perish, so that more and more people will get the chance to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. question for us is not curiosity or speculation, but how are we using the time that God has given us now? How are we using it? Are we using it well? Or are we like the Thessalonians, just sat around thinking that everything will be okay, and then suddenly Jesus will return. Let's think then about the destination. We've thought a little bit about the journey. You know, when the journey is hard, having the destination in mind actually makes it bearable, doesn't it? You know, I I wouldn't go and sit on the M6 in a queue for pleasure. That wouldn't be something I would ever choose to do. But if I know I'm going to London, then it's just about bearable. I was sat on an aircraft, you know, in cramped conditions, eating aircraft food is not great. But if you know that at the end of it, you've got two weeks of an amazing holiday, we suffer the journey to get to the destination. Acts chapter 1 isn't the most detailed account of what and why is of, of Jesus' return. Um, the Nicene Creed, which was put together by the church in 381 to talk about the beliefs of the church, says this about the coming of Jesus. It says, He is coming again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will know no end. So we're going to just move a bit beyond the Acts passage and have a little bit of a look at some other passages of the New Testament. We find this in Matthew chapter 24. Sorry, the print's a bit small on this one. It says, Immediately after the suffering of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, 
and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Some amazing things in those verses. We see, again, the clouds of heaven, the potent symbol in the Bible of God's presence with his people. We see um, also in this passage the talk of the Son of Man, a fulfillment of Daniel 7. Go and read Daniel 7 if you get a chance. We see the angel, the messengers of God, those who do God's bidding, those who put the call out. And then we see the trumpet. You know, trumpets are noisy. I play the trumpet badly and loudly. And it's a noisy instrument, and it's, it can be, can be quite brash and harsh. And through the Bible, the trumpet is used to indicate when God has something important to say to his people. And we get the people being gathered from the four winds, if you like. That just signifies the whole earth here. Now, human language, I don't know if you've ever found that human language just runs out of its ability to say what you want it to say. And I think this is one of those sort of passages. We can't say all there is to say about the second coming in words. But what we mustn't do is also fall into the trap of thinking this is just a metaphor for something, or that this is allegory, or this is some kind of spiritualization, that Jesus will come differently to this. You know, actually what this does, I think, is just paint with massive broad brushstrokes. It says when Jesus returns, it will be visible. It will be physical. It will be noisy. It will be universal. And it will be unmissable. This is the destination event. This is what it will look like, if you like. But that doesn't tell us why Jesus is coming back in some senses. Why is he returning? Well, Jesus is returning, so all God's promises, the hopes of the new creation brought about at the resurrection, will be fulfilled. The promise of salvation for the dead and the living who are in Christ will become the reality. The writer of the Hebrews tells us that when Jesus came the first time, He came to pay for forgiveness for our sins. He came to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven. But at his second coming, the writer tells us that Jesus comes to bring that salvation, to mean that we now experience life forever. He comes in justice and judgment. It's not popular to talk about God's judgment, but it's a a theme that runs through the Bible incredibly clearly. You know, we can sometimes look at the world and we can ask the question, how can God let this happen? You know, how can God let the innocent suffer when the guilty walk away free? How can God allow illness and pain and all these kind of things? Well, there will come a day when all sin is laid bare before the Lord, when all pride and things that are hostile to God are laid bare, and people who operate outside of God's will and purposes are actually outside of the future that Christ has for those of us who have turned to him in repentance and faith. This is from Revelation 22. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs and sorcerers and fornicators and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You see, how we respond to Jesus in this life matters. It matters on an eternal scale. It matters immensely. What we do in this life matters. In that passage, it's only those who have been washed through the blood of Jesus who get to access the city of God 
that comes at the end of Revelation. It's only through faith, by grace, that we enter into God's coming kingdom. And the rest? Well, Revelation clearly says they remain outside, lost for all eternity. The final word of the second coming is the fulfillment of God's kingdom. Revelation 22, verse 5. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. The hope of eternity brought into completeness by Christ. So I want to ask you, what's your response to this amazing hope? What's your response to this amazing news, this good news that Jesus is coming back? Well, firstly, you know, today if you're sat here and actually you're thinking, well, I don't really know Jesus. I haven't yet responded to Jesus as he's come as a baby. And I don't know how on earth, I don't know what I do with all this. Can I encourage you, this Advent season, as we approach Christmas, to look at the love that Jesus has for you and to make that, um, that sort of decision to follow him in repentance and faith. You know, it says in Revelation that Jesus stands at the door knocking. Stands at the door of our hearts knocking. He wants to come into our lives. The question is, will you let him in? Will you walk life through? Will you be part of all that Jesus has for this amazing future that he has for us? Secondly, perhaps today you've skipped over this amazing hope. Perhaps actually you think this is far too complicated. Let's just leave others to talk about this, but it's too difficult to think about. And actually you're living with a lot of day-to-day detail in your life and you're getting all stressed out and strung up about the things of everyday life. And you've lost the big picture. And you've lost the hope that actually Jesus is coming back. Can I encourage you to keep your eyes up a bit? To look up and see what is coming? To read through these passages of the Bible again that talk about the amazing hope that Jesus is coming back? And whether we are dead at that time or living, when he returns, we will see him as he is and we will reign with him forever and ever. And so whatever we face today, you know, that is an encouragement, isn't it? If today you're sat here and you're in pain, or you're going through a really tough time in life, this is an encouragement that one day you will be with Christ and you will reign with him forever and ever. Thirdly, to us as a church, what do we do with this message of the second coming? This is not written in the Bible for us to just become curious and speculative but to become people of love, of action, people committed to being the witnesses of Jesus. As 2017 draws to a close, are we convinced that Jesus is coming back? Is this at the heart of our faith? Are we excited by it? That one day Jesus will return on the clouds of heaven. Are we praying for it? Are we committed to sharing this news? Revelation 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride, the bride there is the church, say, come, come, Lord Jesus, and let him who hears say, come. And from 1 Corinthians 15, just think about this hope again. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, 
at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Are you looking forward to having eternity with Jesus? Are you looking forward to this great day? Well, as we gather around bread and wine, we're told to do this, to remember Jesus until he comes. We're told to keep doing it, and keep doing it, keep retelling the story until this great day.